everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu. Hope everybody's doing well. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my co-hosts, Dennis Levi-Leach and Jonathan Getz. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. Hanging in there. <laughs> well, the beat goes on. Um, yeah. Want to tell everybody, um, you can uh, check all of our episodes out on rockchu.com. You can also follow us on the Twitter and the Instagram at rockinchu. That's N as in NWA. Say hell no. Um, and uh, then uh, you can like us on Facebook as well. Uh, we still pop in there sometimes. And um, yeah, tell all your friends uh, about the show. We are moving through our never-ending list of items in baseball and music that we are thankful for. Um, and I think we've, we've had some interesting takes on these topics, and um, it's a nice smorgasbord of items, um, really, that cover two areas that I think us, all three of us, and many people around the world are yearning for, live mu- well, music, well, live music, right? We've still got, we got some of that, but not a compromised version of it, a, uh, a Facebook Live version of it, if you will. Um, and then also uh, baseball. So uh, every once in a while I see some kids playing Little League. Haven't really seen it up here, but when I, uh, like, people on Facebook post their kids playing baseball again. So I don't know if that's too soon or not. But um, nonetheless, um, we're, uh, we're still kind of waiting, right, on baseball. We have... Basketball looks like it's about got the green light. The NBA is MLB as of the recording. Is it? Uh, I have to admit, I'm a little out of the loop with the news. Is it? Is it happening? Does anyone know? It, yeah, it might not as, happen. Yeah, it might not happen. Far, yeah, as far as I know, they haven't come to any agreement. Yeah. So we're just shaking the the magic eight ball and all signs pointing to no. That's, right. that's what that's what Tim Kjun says. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I, that's 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 a mispr- that's a that's a name that um, I uh, I cannot pronounce. You know, there's certain <laughs> words that like too like that. I'll just like don't ask me to say bespectacled, right? Because like you'll just you'll be you'll be covered in slobber. You know, you ask me to say that. So yeah, wear a raincoat if you ask me to say bespectacled, and don't ask me to pronounce Tim. Wiping wiping off my monitor. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway. Yeah, well, that that sucks. Um, but this podcast doesn't suck. So let's go ahead and um, and 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 get back to the list, guys. Um, we're we're getting close. You know, we're down to uh, under twenty five. I think right about now, right or about twenty five, about, about twenty seven. Okay, all about right, twenty seven. Say okay. So we move on. Um, I'll go ahead and start with mine, and uh, I was taking some notes on this. The last few days, and um, I'm going to stick with this item that I included on my list many months ago, but a recent uh, passing of a guitarist got me thinking about some different dimensions of this topic, okay? Um, the item that I've got that I'm appreciative for is bands that tough it out with mostly original members, all right? Now, it's, it's great if you can get all original members. I, I think most of the time, critically and commercially, it usually works better 
right? Um, if you've yeah. got, say, ZZ Top versus Leonard Skinner, right? I'll use some classic rock examples there. Not that either of those bands necessarily, well, I mean, I don't know, they're, they're critically acclaimed to a certain degree. But, um, you know, two, two um, kind of, you know, bands with similar influences that um, a, tr- a power trio that's been able to keep it together and then, you know, Gary Rossington and, you know, uh, uh, with all due respect, uh, a bunch of, you know, hired musicians, um, uh, sort of your your session type players and some people that have been in other similar bands. But nonetheless, it's really just um, one member from the band's prime. Now, I'd be curious to ask you guys, I'll phrase it this way. Um, when does th- that so I'm appreciative of it when bands tough it out, even if it sometimes there is a drop off in quality um, in performance or writing. But when do you guys sort of draw the line or when does it bother you when a band takes too few members out on the road or in the studio? What uh, What's kind of like, do you have a number of members that they have to have in the lineup? Do you have a, I don't know, does it have to be um, a certain makeup of the core lineup? Or if it just sounds good, do you roll with it? You know, with Skinner, it's tough because it's like a, a plane crash like wiped out half the band. So it's sure. like kind of yeah. hard to judge then on yeah. that. But right. When it comes to like all the bands, you know, still going, like you'll see, like, like up in Chicago, I know there's still like the Shadows of Night are playing, and right, it's like, right. it's like I'm pretty sure it's only like maybe one of the original guys in that, and they were famous for doing Gloria, the the Van sure. Morrison them song. Yeah, them got banned on the radio in the USA, and so the Shadows of Night came out with a version on the radio in the US, right. and that's kind of how they got famous. Yeah. So yeah, I think when it becomes kind of, you know, if maybe there's only one or two guys left, it it kind of is almost a novelty act at that point. Yeah. But then it also depends on I think in my mind who are the guys that are left. Was sure. it the main songwriter? Was it like one of like one of the is one of the main musicians, the guy who who wrote a bunch of the music? Is he still there? I, yeah, you know, I, like so, sometimes with bands, it's like, oh, this is you know whoever Chicago, and it's like oh, it's they got the original like sax player or something, right. and, and they're just it. gonna and they're just yeah. gonna be playing older tunes anyway, you know, right, so. yeah. Yeah, so, I'll say this. Go ahead, Levi. I cut you well, off. I was Go going ahead. to just finish it with like it gets to a point, though, where it's kind of like a glorified cover band, you it know, does. which is kind yeah. of sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were you going to say? And I, well, I want to say first, like I, I for a lot of bands, particularly ones that um, aren't, you know, the Rolling Stones or U2 or. You know, I, I don't blame I, I, I don't fault anyone or judge anyone, I guess, for for um for soldiering on you know i mean like i guess if you if you had a hand in creating the music you you have some say in whether the band you know continues without uh, a, a vital member um and it's like you know they're musicians i mean they're pro musicians it's not like they're you know it's not like they're gonna go into fucking you know not got law degrees to fall back on or something you know right. i mean right so i get that um I guess, you know, for me, uh, I, I've been thinking about my answer, 
my answer to my own question is I think when you lose the mind of the band, I hope that doesn't sound too pretentious, but like just a like when you when you lose like a principal songwriter or writer, um, like, for instance, I'll use an example. And I know, Levi, you went to go see him and I'm sure it was a good time and it was really kind of nostalgic and fun to hear all those songs again. Like I listened to that Blind Melon album without Shannon Hoon. And it's like, I was like, why did I bother? You know, I mean, and and I I don't because you've lost the mind of the band. Like the guy's too unique of a mind and a voice. So that would that would be like one for me. Whereas, um, you know, uh, you I don't know. I mean, like right now, Guns N' Roses, you know, I'm I'm bothered by the fact, I guess, slightly that. Well, I shouldn't say slightly. Like I, it, it would be so much better for me if Izzy was there, and I guess Adler too, um, or at least Matt Sorum. But um, I still so pay th- for a ticket. So three, you know? three guys aren't enough. So yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. An asshole isn't enough for you, though. I, I guess. Yeah, in some cases, because I'm such a big Izzy fan. Right. You know, that's one right there where. Yeah, I, I love that Juju Hans record. It's a great album i mean like the riffs man i mean like you know like appetite for destruction is appetite for destruction is like great like not only because of izzy but a big reason is because of izzy um you know so blind melon thing man it's tough it's really tough for the fact that you know i i and he no longer tours with him but when i did get to see them with travis it was brad smith on bass and Chris yeah, no, Cohen. the rest of the and members the, are, are there. The rest of the members. And so I never, honestly, I've never even heard that album that Travis released with Blind Melon. Um, you know, one of my things with going was, it was almost like a full circle bringing in, sure. not an end to my Blind Melon fandom, but like it was, it was like a really warm hug yeah. of my Blind Melon fandom. Yeah. For the fact that you could see all the joy in the crowd on people's faces of hearing those songs again. Because I think those songs, and when they're good songs by good bands, I think they can touch people for a long time. Oh, and sure. it, it seems like a shame to deprive people of that, especially the members of the band. Because obviously Christopher Thorne and Brad Smith and the guitarist and drummer wanted to keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're talented. Um, It's a really tough call, man. And then it gets down to a point of the business of it all to where, like, like at certain points, like you said, if there's only, like, like the uh, one or two of the guys who were in the horn section left or something. Well, it becomes such a business to where someone buys the name of that band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The yeah. band, the band is like basically a, an LLC. Someone is buying the name yeah. of that band. Uh, I'll and give you. It's exactly yeah. what's happening with Blackfoot right now. I think I told you about this. Didn't well, yeah, I? Yeah, they got those younger guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's called Blackfoot, and it's like Richie Blackmore's endorsing it or not? Uh, Richie Black, Richie uh, Medlock. Uh, yeah, Richie Bedlock. And so he like endorses them, but it's not any of the original yeah. Blackfoot guys. It's right. not Medlock. And they're playing all those tunes and they're going out as Blackfoot. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's absolutely where I draw the line. You know what I mean? If you're if you have guys in the band that weren't even in the band and they're going out calling themselves the band, 
Yeah. So that, that's where I kind of would draw the line. I, I'll, I, I was listening to a band earlier today that had gone through a lot of lineup changes, even even in like their heyday. Uh, talking about the Guess Who, right? And uh, I was listening to kind of like, you know, I've got like a list of classic rock albums that like aren't as well known from established bands, you know, like a playlist that I kind of try to dig into. And I was listening to like some of like the mid 70s, like Guess Who, you know, like where like after Randy Bachman had left, but Burton right. Cummings was still around. I think the Guess Who now like tours with like the bass player. <laughs> like that's it. So I'm going to draw the line there. All right. Uh, no Shannon Hoon or just the bass player of the Guess Who. Uh, those are my lines. All right. Um, Getz, what about you? I, I agree with um, most what, what, what you guys are saying along the lines of Blind Melon. You know, I also think of Stone Temple Pilots. And yeah. and at that point, like you said, it's just a machine that. Yeah, I, I, I shouldn't say that it's just a machine, um, uh, but it's, but it is a business and, and, yeah. and they keep a lot of people employed and and the remaining artists want to want to keep the music alive. And that's fine. But am I they they know it's not the same. Right. Sure. They yeah. Do, right? yeah. Um, and yeah. so there's that level. Right. And then uh, uh, and, and then there's like when the band toured after the last waltz without Robbie Robertson and everybody pretty much just ignored it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and. and uh, and, and when the Crows were, were uh, Black Crows decided to tour, uh, basically fire everybody and tour without Steve Gorman. And that drew a line for us, you yeah. know, a line that that we um, that we moved, you know, as as Mark moved to and fro and, you know, switched <laughs> out with Oddly. And like we were willing to acclimate to a lot of that. Yeah, but then right. We drew the line at Steve Gorman. Right. right. Um, and so there's that. And Steve Gorman is kind of you know, one of those guys who. Yeah, he doesn't like write the lyrics. He doesn't write the songs necessarily, but he's you know kind of the heart and soul. Um, but uh, a band that has done, who has executed this switch out of members uh, in a way that I th I think is very rare and for the best is Wilco. Uh, Wilco has uh, only uh, th two two members uh, from the original lineup. Uh, yeah. Jeff Tweedy and John Strutt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they did a big overhaul uh, after uh, 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 being there, after Summer Teeth. Um, you know, uh, notable guys like, like Jay Bennett uh, came and went. And, but at the same time, they, they did all these changes and it solidified right around 0405, this lineup, uh, which added guys like Nels Klein and, and Glenn Kochi and, and uh, the, the Michael Jorgensen passing a song. And I think it's the best version of the band. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, are there, uh, that's not to diminish what the band produced before those members joined, because it's, it's like a different band. It's, it's a, Wilco is yeah. two distinctly different bands. And, 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 and they've been, it's, I think we've all benefited from that. Yeah. I, well, I, there's I, I said original members in my in my question and just kind of when I introduced this topic, um, I'm I think uh, I probably should have said like prime lineup, you know, because like a lot of sometimes like, you know, like a, when a band starts, it'll just be like, you know, the, the, the two musicians we know and like some guys in the neighborhood, you know what I mean? That like mm -hmm. and then, you know, maybe those guys play on the first album and then they're and then they're gone and 
and the lineup, um, you know, really, you know, gels and, and, and becomes the iconic lineup. So I guess I should have said like the, you know, in their prime or, or iconic. Um, one thing that I was thinking of that, um, you know, it got a, a guy by the name of Bob Kulik, who I don't, I don't know if you guys might know who he is, um, passed away a couple weeks ago and he was, um, he did a, he was a session guy. He played like, he played lead, lead guitar on like a Lou Reed tour, but he was also kind of like one of Kiss's like, like writers, you know, like he, he was, he like played on like, a, like some Kiss albums. Um, and he's not really, I don't know, maybe he's credited for it. I don't have the liner notes in front of me, but like, you know, he's, he's sort of like a secret member of Kiss. He was, and his brother, Bruce Kulik was an actual on stage member in the studio member of Kiss in, in the eighties and up until the, the reunion in the, in the mid nineties. Um, but it got me thinking like, you know, you've also got this world and there's an article I found on L from LA weekly a few years ago, which I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, you've got like, you know, your keyboardist backstage as well, you know, like, like Sabbath, black Sabbath toured with a keyboard player back off stage. Oh, yeah. um, Ozzy. 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 The whole yeah. uh, like Diary of a Madman, Randy right. Rhodes. Uh, right, I think that's I think lame. Yeah, that, that's uh, lame, Iron, right? Maiden, Iron Maiden does it with um with their their bass tech plays keyboards off stage. I think that's lame. I've yeah. done. Yeah, I I mean I've worked a lot of shows and stuff like that. Happens, you too. So. You too. Um, has has a keyboardist that plays off stage. Yeah. I mean, a lot of bands will have kind of like I, especially country bands, yeah. will have like a multi instrumental guy kind of off stage. He might play some fiddle on a tune, yeah. and then he might play accordion or dobro yeah. or what you know. Like Are they embarrassed yeah. of them? They don't have the room. What's the deal? Yeah, and I mean, in some cases, like I'm, I'm just kind of perusing skimming the article as I mentioned this topic here. Um, in some cases, it's a confidentiality agreement. Like you know, U2 doesn't want really people to know that. Um, well, you know, and yeah, so. It's weird, and it always bothered me, too, that, like, since, well, I guess since Bill Wyman left the band in the early 90s, um, you know, that the Stones don't have Chuck Lavelle and Daryl Worley in, like, band photos, you know? Yeah. Like, I think yeah. that's that's fucking yeah. lame. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's maybe not even their call, you know? But then again, though, I don't know, they're the fucking Stones. They could probably say, hey, we want these guys in a picture, you know? I mean... Right. I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, corporate hands in it that that it's not totally like up to Mick and Keith and Ronnie and Charlie to say who's in the photo. But I would figure that like can make it happen. You know, it's 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 a slap in the face to to two really talented musicians, particularly mm -hmm. in Lavelle and Worley. Um, so, yeah, that bothers me. You know, that's always kind of mm -hmm. bothered me. Um, that those guys aren't in band photos and stuff. I think that's yeah. fucking like yeah, 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 that is. Yeah. Um, so those been people day in day out. Um, and you know, with the with the um, I'll I could go on about this one for a while, and I I took quite a few notes, but um, I will say that lineup changes. Um, you know, my four favorite bands. If like you had like four cornerstones of my popular music universe would be the black crows kiss pearl jam and yes where pearl jam why i think 
they operate with more integrity than those other three bands I mentioned is is because of the lack of lineup changes. I think I I, I mean Black Crows are probably my favorite band, but the lineup changes have hurt the legacy of the band, and so has it with Yes, and so has it with Kiss. Yeah, yeah. Pearl Jam, not not so not so. Along those yeah. same lines, the Allman Brothers seem to handle it pretty well over the years. And maybe it was the caliber of players that they're getting. Not to bash any of the guys in, in the band for those members. But yeah, the Almonds too. Um, that's another example, Gets. Like, you could, you could make right now with Offspring and related people. You know, I think it's called the Almond Betts band. Well, they got the Almond Betts band, yeah, because that's got Barry Oakley Jr. in it too. But hey, throw in like Dwayne Trucks and Derek Trucks. You know, there's one drummer and another guitarist. Um, yeah, and you know that's 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 a pretty good band. If, like they called that the Almond Brothers band. I don't think a lot of, like that'd be okay, kind of. You know, I mean, to me at least. Yeah. Can we have two Dwaynes in a band? Dwayne Betts and Dwayne Turk. Oh, yeah, with that, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. We have two Dwaynes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and, and the Almonds, yeah, they, they did it pretty well for the most part. Um, I think probably, like, the most, like, sort of questionable Almonds lineups were the ones in, like, the early 80s, you know, where it was, like, just basically Greg, Dickie, and Butch Trucks were the only, so like, like, Dan, kind of, like... Was, like, Dan kind of, Toller the guitarist? Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, you know... Yeah. I, I don't know much about Dan. Les Dudek was for a little while. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know much about those players, but like, you know, um, that that that's probably like the 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 pock marks on the uh, the Almonds legacy there in terms of playing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Yeah. 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 Good, man. yeah. Good. Um, well, my first one for tonight. Um, I think I'm going to talk about. Rock music and concert posters. The things that we we have had on our walls basically since we were teenagers, guys. Um, you know, at one time in the United States, it was kind of like mandatory. Pretty much like every teenage boy had to have some kind of like rock poster. Mm-hmm. Didn't they? It's crazy to think that those days have kind of come and gone. Um, I remember one of my favorites that I got and gave, I'm sure you'll remember this one. I had, uh, I had gotten it. It recycled records. It was the promo poster for Bob Seger's nine tonight. I had it on my oh, yeah. for a yeah. really long time. I remember seeing that in your room. Yeah. And, uh, another great one that I had, and you had this one as well was the, and it's one of the greatest rock posters probably of all time is the crows gone poster. Where I, I don't bl- think I ever had that. Oh, you never had it? Where Maybe it's Jonathan like the, did. I don't it's know. It's like it's, the black and white shot of them, and like yeah. they're like laying in the grass, and like Chris is like shooting Steve in the head with a gun, it says, and it gone. says, yeah. says gone, yeah. It's like a band photo, yeah. 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 Uh, another one, uh, I'm, I know you had this one, because I was always, not jealous, but like I was always envious. You had a really cool uh, Boston third stage poster, didn't you? It was weird though, dude. It it was the third stage album cover, but it didn't say third stage on it. Just it just said Boston, right? Yeah, and it had like the the ship going into that atmosphere, you know, like yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. So it was an interesting poster, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, concert poster and concert poster art um, has um, 
I don't know. There's, I think there's a new appreciation for it, you know, over the last couple decades um, that maybe you didn't have as like, like from a collector's perspective, well, you yeah, know, like I would um, talk, and we're talking like, about like uh, Levi, you're talking about more like music lad, something you get well, a music lad. Oh, right? okay. All I'm, right. I'm talking about both. I'm touching on okay. both. Okay. okay. So what I was going to get at was like, there was a time in at least in my life where that was the only place you could get posters. Was it like head shops or Sam Goody or, you yeah. know, places like that. Right. And then finally, once I started going to concerts, I realized that most of the cool bands had a poster you could buy at the show. Right. So okay, like starting around yeah. like yeah. starting around 2000, 2001, all the yeah. like all the stock Penny Lane type posters kind of started coming down in concert. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. I see your transition. All right. No, you got to start young. I mean, kids don't. You start with a beer. You don't start with a whiskey bottle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I uh, (laughs) I remember I had a um, in my before my parents remodeled the house, Levi. You probably remember my sister and I had like kind of like our playrooms downstairs. Yeah. Like we slept in a you know shared a bedroom upstairs, upstairs. and then then downstairs there was a playroom, and my dad remodeled downstairs when I was probably about like fifth grade or so, sixth grade, maybe. Um, and, uh, I had the Def Leppard like centerfold from, um, hit parader. I remember that was one of my, one of my early band posters. That was another place for a while. Like you could only get posters. You, you get a poster like, in Hit Parader. Yeah, yeah. I'd pick up yeah. the Hit Parader down at IGA. Yeah. Yeah. And they would they would make those pages specifically to tear out, right? Oh, yeah. It would just yeah. be a shot of the member and then it would have their yeah. name with like a starburst yeah. underneath it. Yeah. And right. The band right. Name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This would have been like Hysteria era Def Leppard yeah. uh, shot. But yeah, you're right, Levi. I mean, like it's it's um, there's some bands that really, you know, they're they've got a different poster artist for each night, you know. Um, it's become I mean, I could, business. Yeah, and 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 I could be wrong, but like I don't know if you go to like a Lady Gaga tour, does she have like a poster for every night of the show? <laughs> I, I doubt it, you know. And that's that's not a knock on her. I, I happen to like Lady Gaga, but um, I, I, you know, I I guess it 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 is kind of it comes with the culture of. Of, of certain bands and you know mainly rock bands um although there are there are gig posters you know in any genre but like the, i think the posters that we're talking about where you buy them at the merch tent you know that's uh, yeah. that's that's kind of something special yeah yeah absolutely uh, another classic what i remember you had was like the kiss uh you had like the Kiss '76 tour where they're all dressed up like the Bicentennial, right? Yeah, Spirit of '76 tour. Yeah, yeah, I had that <laughs> one. Um, yeah, that was a, that's a great poster. Yeah, great. Do you, so, do you have any of yours still? I don't. I I've got a few downstairs, but they're God. They're mainly. I don't have any of the ones I had up like as a teenager. Really? I had a. I had a, I had a. Yeah, I don't think so. I had a giant Who one. That Stacy Greer got me, um, bless her. Um, and it was like it was it was like late seventies, early eighties because it was Kenny Jones on drums. Um, and then I had a Hendrix poster of like the classic one where he was like lighting the guitar on fire. Okay. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I've. Um, I was trying to trace to back the- to like one of my first concert posters, and I couldn't put a finger on it, man. I mean. 
Uh, Government Mule, we got that Life Before Insanity poster, that tour. That was like one of my early... Yeah, that was was almost kind of like a promo for the album, though. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, like actual poster Uh, I got uh, at a show. That might have been one of the first. In 95, on Pearl Jam's 95 tour at Summerfest, um, for that tour, they had, which included Soldier Field, uh, they had a poster uh, for, like, a whole leg right uh and it listed all the cities and it was on heavy stock and it was this like circus uh guy with a snake around oh, him. Yeah, it yeah. was it, but it was it was a it was a model it was a figurine it wasn't a person and um it was a bit of a collage uh and that was my first concert poster nice. i still have it tucked away that's awesome somewhere. but it was it, it was big it wasn't what you get now is like whatever 18 by 24 or 12 by 18. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like 24 by 36. It was smaller than what you would get at Musicland, but bigger than what tour yeah. posters have become. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I no. mean, it's crazy, the business of it now. Because, I mean, some of the bands and some of the artists, it's like as soon as they're pressed and off the presses, they're selling okay. them at the tent for 30 bucks, and then they're on eBay later for 300 or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're it's just, insane. They're just... They're just red meat for fucking geek, <laughs> geeks, you know. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm a geek about it, um, and uh, I've given up for the most part <laughs> the idea of trying to get a poster at a show. Yeah, um, the Pearl Jam crowd's a bunch of weirdos about that shit too. I'm sorry, Gats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and anymore, and I'm and I'm partial to just a couple of their poster artists, so I don't care as much about the other seventy percent that they have produced anymore, but. Um, but yeah, that, that crowd is, yeah, it's like, I'm not going to stand in line for merch for six hours. I would rather go explore this city that I've, I'm visiting for like the first time ever. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's try to recenter here. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. yeah. No, there you good. Go. So yeah, Levi, thank you for including this. I uh, <laughs> appreciate that. It's certainly one of mine. All right. Well, I'm going to shift it to baseball then. Uh, one yeah. of my, one of my favorite things um, is actually affiliated with a team that I don't root for, and it's affiliated with a place that I've never seen a ball game. And uh, I'm talking about Dodger Stadium. Uh, so uh, Dodger Stadium's the setting of one of my first baseball memories, and I can clearly recall watching the 88 World Series and Kirk Gibson hitting the, mm-hmm. his all-time classic of a walk-off home run against Dennis Sackersley in Game 1 putting L.A. in the driver's seat to win the series, ultimately in five games. So and that is the original walk-off, by the way. Dennis Eckersley coined it as such as he walked off. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah, I guess the, the walk-off wasn't, people weren't saying that in, like, the 1960s. Huh? No, yeah, so just like uh, huh. the Dodgers invented the high-five in the early 80s, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. They, they also essentially invented the walk-off in that Dennis Eckersley later okay. uh, in his press conference called it a walk-off because he walked I off d- the field. I did not know that. All right, yeah. sorry, go on. Um, so, you know, as I grew up and thought back on it or saw replays of that home run, it's endlessly replayed. Uh, you know, I would think of the bleachers and the emptiness behind the bleachers um, that were ingrained in my memory as you saw the ball travel in uh, uh, over the wall. But it would take a couple of decades after the game for me to understand why I never forgot those details uh, at, at Dodger Stadium of Dodger Stadium, and I've, I've never considered myself a Dodgers fan, like I said, but I think it's Dodger Stadium that has created my at least partial attachment to the team. You know, watching Dodgers home games always felt like kind of baseball escapism to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really care who won, which helps. 
and rather it was just a pleasure to watch the game in a setting that renders well on TV, like so much of LA is built to do. And yeah. a bonus for me is the West Coast start times that would result right. in that rare dusk gameplay light that I cherish. Yeah. And I think I've yeah. mentioned it early in our list. But so it was a it was about a decade ago I started to appreciate and learn more about mid-century modern architecture. And it was then I realized the mid-century characteristics of Dodger Stadium. Uh, that caught my eye all those years ago in 88. It was those wooden bleachers, original since 1962, and their mm-hmm. folded folded zigzag roof overhang and hexagonal scoreboards uh, in the outfield. Uh, that It was all these things that I found aesthetically pleasing uh, that mm-hmm. I couldn't quite put into words as an eight-year-old. Yeah. You know, so overall, the stadium design is fairly simple. It's Though it has the largest capacity in baseball, it doesn't feel overwhelming or, or imposing. You know, thanks in part to these uh, single deck outfield bleachers and the minimal overhangs that surround not just the outfield but the entire stadium. Yeah. Um, and and so the last feature that I've appreciated through the years is the dark emptiness behind the outfield ble- bleachers. And before visiting LA, it was hard for me to understand that this stadium in one of the largest cities in the world could have such a dark void of a backdrop and but that's what turns out that's one of the characteristics of the hills of los angeles you get these vast areas of of undeveloped nature and you know it's fitting this fitting this juxtaposition into dodgers stadium makes it i think pretty unique in all of baseball you know however now that void is a thing of the past that as the dodgers added a concourse behind the bleachers just this past offseason and I'll miss the emptiness, mm. but the new concourse has been tastefully executed and within the original aesthetics of the stadium when it was built in the early 60s. So I think it'll, feel, it'll fit right in, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how it renders on TV and hope it helps me escape into that West Coast vibe this Midwesterner yearns for in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Or, or 2020, 2021 if we get baseball. Yeah, yeah, it right. doesn't, I had no idea it was the largest stadium. It doesn't come off <laughs> as big on TV. Yeah, yeah. It's like 50,000, right, at least? I mean, Yeah, yeah it's 50, 50 plus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, that wouldn't have been uncommon, like probably as un- as uncommon yeah. in like the in the 70s and 80s when you had a lot of football and baseball franchises sharing a stadium, you know. Well, and it's uh, amazing in a town like Los Angeles that you know what I mean. Usually, it's like tear it down and build something new. Yeah. That 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 the stadium has endured. So, mm-hmm. guess it's bigger than Oakland Coliseum, or is it just like Oakland is smaller because they they tarp the seats? Oakland could probably fit more, but they don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because they tarp. Yeah. Yeah. Likely. Yeah. Well, originally, like back in the day, it would have been what? uh, It would have been the Olympic Stadium where Montreal played. Didn't that place hold like, I wonder, wonder what the biggest stadium ever has been in the, in the MLB. That'd be a a topic for another day. (laughs) I think there have been temporary stadiums like, cause like the Dodgers played, at the Rose Bowl, maybe before Dodger Stadium, mm, okay. and so technically you could fit like a hundred thousand in the Rose Bowl. No, yeah, yeah uh, but uh, as far the, as long term goes, I'm not sure. The Braves were at that Olympic Stadium for quite a while, you know, up until they moved what just last year or the year before, right? Right, uh, yeah, that, that was that's, converted that's pretty stadium. big, yeah, yeah, it's pretty big, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, if if a for for stadiums built within the last 25 years you know they're they're gonna put them at, at closer to 
to forty thousand or like thirty-five thousand. Right. Um, heck, fuck with with the way attendance has been in a lot of markets, they could probably put them at twenty thousand. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. I've um, there's there's always been kind of a something alluring about the uh, the the Dodgers um, and just kind of the lore behind the team and the history and well and as a kid in the 80s it seemed like tommy lasorda was kind of everywhere yeah like, he was he was a celebrity he was like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right yeah. yeah 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 definitely um yeah i um i i kind of had like sort of like in the 80s too like i was always like a little bit envious of the mets talent you know like i always like wish the white Sox were that good so I I always wanted to visit the old Shea Stadium as well, um, and see like the Big Apple, you know. Uh, right. right. Um, yeah, well, they, that'd have been cool. Well, you're in luck because in the new one, the Apple is even bigger. Oh, okay. All right. I haven't yeah. been. I haven't taken. I've heard kind of mixed reviews of City Field. Like I've 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 talked to a few friends that have been there, um, and they said it's um it's it's not. It's not spectacular. Let's put it it's out. interesting because they tried to model it a lot after Ebbets Field, which is oh, okay. yeah. where the Dodgers used to play when they were yeah. in Brooklyn. And yeah. it's almost awkward in that sense, like the owner's um, obsession with the Dodgers and Ebbets Field and mm-hmm. how he's trying to – it's like he's trying to get his new girlfriend to <laughs> look a lot like his old girlfriend. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, he's like, I, I have this he, new logo for the Mets. <laughs> It's a bee. Yeah, yeah, it's a bee. Yeah, <laughs> it's a blue bee. Um, and so he had he had to reel that in a little bit. But the the outside of City Field is the Ebbets Field like rotunda. Um, okay. Uh, just totally uh, mimicked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I I think overall though I assume it's an upgrade to Shea, but yeah. still, yeah, kind of like mixed mixed reviews, like you said. Yeah. Wasn't um. I think I think this year in baseball, weren't the Rangers scheduled to open a new mm-hmm. park this year? Yeah. 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 Which and then the other one wasn't that old. Yeah. It was like it, it was, was like twenty five years old. 25. It opened in like ninety four or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I guess just they want air conditioning. You know? <laughs> it's hot as it's hot as hell. Hopefully so. Yeah. Yes. I mean that, that place yeah. is yeah, basically turning into the climate of, of central Mexico. So Right, right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, that was yeah. a good one, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um, you know, I'll, I'll go with, with with this one because we're you know we we um we have a thing on on the podcast here. Um, longtime listeners will know, but if you haven't heard it, check it out in our archives. We have a thing called the Chew Ins, where we um we induct bands that are unlikely to ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and I want to give some some um, accolades to the, um, the Rock and Roll Hall for kind of bringing a little more populism into its voting in recent years. So I'm appreciative of that. Um, I think all three of us, we've, we've talked about it kind of ad nauseum on this show, um, uh, you know, we, we've all got some ambivalence around the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, just, you know, is it, it's yeah. kind of very, it's, it's not very rock and roll for a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to exist. Let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, it's always sort of the criteria is always kind of hard to pin down. Um, 
it's not like baseball where it's just kind of numbers mostly. Um, but I, I wanted to say that like I, I like the fact that there's becoming kind of more populism, like some of the turning points of like bands that like I didn't think would get nominated, like um, like obviously Kiss is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Journey, Boston, Cheap Trick. Um, while Cheap Trick seems like they've gotten more due in recent years, those are all bands that were never like critically acclaimed, you know? Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, prior to, I think, some of those bands getting in, you either either had, had to have the record sales or you had to have kind of this cultural clout, you know? Um, you had to be influential and, and sort of, you know, have music writers think you were important and all of that. Um, so I, I like the fact that um, the, it's, it's, it seems like um, the voting lately is, is their they're honoring bands that aren't, that don't have to be critical darlings, but are still really important to popular music. Um, I think like the kind of the territory that they, they haven't touched enough of, and maybe it's because the genres are, are younger. Um, they need to get more hip hop and they need to get more heavy metal into the rock and roll hall of fame. You know, if Metallica's in all of the other big four bands should be in too. Um, with hip hop, you know, they're getting there, but they don't have, you know enough like uh, i could i could name a dozen rappers that should be in the the rock and roll hall of fame that haven't even been on the ballot you know so um it's getting better but it's got a long ways to go you know um so i just wanted to have you ever uh, been to the rock sing hall some praises one of you guys i haven't no yeah yeah when did you go jonathan uh i think when i was 18 that would have been right around the time i went yeah I yeah. think that's a good time in your life to go because like you're still open-eyed and optimistic about the whole yeah the whole idea of rock. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember when I was there I think there was a the special exhibit was on linen. They yeah. had uh, they yeah. had the, the, I think I like they had the bed from the they had bed his glasses. In. They had his glasses, they had his driver's license. I his think his report card. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. And I remember they had a bunch of in the lobby when I was there, they had like these things from like a fish show. It was like one of the big fish shows. And it was oh. this thing of French fries that oh, had a yeah. fish logo on it. Okay. And it was they... like these set pieces from a like a fish tour. And yeah. They had, them, like, they had them hanging up way high because they were huge. I, I think it was um one of their Madison Square Garden shows in like the mid '90s, I think they they had like these big inflatable things. Um, yeah, like they, so had a, they had a hot dog and they had like I think <laughs> fries or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. it was tough neat to see they had like recycled that as decorations at the Rock Hall. Yeah, it was. Did they uh, have the U2 car in there as well? I saw. I remember the U2 car being like the, they have a Volkswagen Bug. I think that U2 used in one of their sets. I don't remember. Maybe that. for like Zuropa tour or something. I just remember it seemed like it was. Endless cases of like costumes. Sure. Like it, it seemed like, like it was how like. How did Jimi Hendrix fit into that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, a lot of it too would be like they would have a little glass case and it would be like the drummer's kick drum, the guitarist's guitar amp for whichever band, say the Beatles, Zeppelin, yeah. whoever. It's, Stones. it's a museum. So, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Enough. You know, the, the whole idea of the thing is. Like you said, it's I don't know. There's a whole ambivalence towards the whole thing. It's like who 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 is anyone to really necessarily say who gets in without voting? You know what I mean? There's no voting. 
Oh, I it think would the museum. Yeah, voting. go ahead. Like the museum some... part is fine by me. You know, yeah. whatever. You know, that's a museum is cultural artifacts. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, whatever. There's museums all over that honor things. Um, but yeah, the my problems, my issues are with this gatekeeper type shit. You know that <laughs> a gate, 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 gatekeeper by taste. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That that can fluctuate depending who's on the board. Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's it's really just influence, right? It's an artist's influence because I think we all would agree that there's probably really great artists who have sold, you know, maybe 8,000 records in their career, but they're just as talented as, as some of the musicians who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they just don't have the influence. They don't Absolutely. have the cachet. I agree with that. And sure. and so you can't you can't base it completely on the merits of talent. Um, and talent actually has necessary. kind of not much to do with it. Um, and that's not to diminish who's in there. They're all very talented, but there's also a lot of very talented musicians who will never be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sure. And they yeah they just didn't have the reach. Yeah, they didn't have the luck. To put a final point on it, I won't be satisfied until Styx is in. Okay. <laughs> they they undoubtedly had, had region <laughs> influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Agreed. Um, I'm going to swing over to baseball. Were you done, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to swing over to baseball on my next one. Um, I originally kind of had this pigeonholed as just 1980s Wrigley Field. But I also spent a lot of my time going to games at 1980s Bush Stadium because it was only 90 miles instead of, you know, driving all the way to Chicago. And so we would go, you know, with big groups, my either either my mom and my dad and my sister and I or a lot of times it would be like a caravan of people would go up there from the Chatham area. And so um, I just remember Bush Stadium at Wrigley Field in the 80s was just like day drinking personified <laughs> because most of the games were during the day, it seemed like back then, what, especially at Wrigley Field. But even at Bush Stadium, it seemed like they had a lot of day games back then. And so uh, I just I can remember walking around Bush Stadium one time and I was looking for the urinal, you know, the restroom. And I walked in, and a guy was just leaning against the wall, puking. <laughs> and it's like 11.30 in the morning, <laughs> you know, on like a, a Tuesday or whatever it was. And uh, one of my other memories of Bush Stadium in the 80s was it was just so damn hot, it seemed like, there always because of the turf. And it was just like you wanted the seats up high where the arches were. Because yeah. you could get a little bit of air up there. Yeah. Like, the closer you got to the field, it was just, oh, it was unbearable. Yeah. And so then, the other thing, it was Wrigley Field. It was it was basically the same way. You know, I, at Wrigley Field, I probably never saw more people in the stands without t-shirts than ever in my life. Sure. sure. Which is a thing you don't see at sporting events anymore. They obviously... They make, do they make people <laughs> where are the shirtless men says Levi well, like, where, uh, where did now, I, go? I don't did, know did yeah I mean 
Every stadium. You know, you know, you're right, though. You don't call. see it. You don't see it. And like, you would, you're right. Seventies and eighties, like constantly. Yeah. There's yeah, more concern nice. about skin cancer now. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you, but Levi's right though. Like, when did it become kind of taboo? I'm. That's a really good point. Like, I don't know when exactly that that shift yeah, happened. Like it just you stopped. know. I think yeah. around like '91, maybe. '91. Yeah. yeah. Early mid '90s. Yeah, I can. I'm gonna see that. guess. Yeah, I think we need like, a 30 for 30. Like you look at a, a photo um, from, and maybe this is just shared aesthetics, um, and you know everybody kind of dressing similar. But like, you know, you look at a photo of a baseball game from the 70s, and it's like, whoa, is that a baseball game or a fog hat concert? You know, like, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, like you'll see like long hairs with their shirts off and shit. You know, right? oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but Levi's right though. You don't. I don't know. That's that's not really um, that's not really the case anymore. Um, no, no. I I wouldn't even take off. I would dread being on the Skins team on shirts versus Skins. <laughs> yeah. So like, I wouldn't even want to take off my shirt yeah. in a gym. And I definitely Let wouldn't do it in front of thirty-five thousand. I, I didn't go there that often, but uh, I, I always did like Levi as well. The the aesthetics of Bush Stadium. I I, I think it's yeah. I like yeah. I like the, the old one. Yeah. Um. Uh. It's like very, you know, it was intended and designed. It was. It looked very futuristic. Like right. you yeah. know, when it looked like like a, something like like out of Logan's yeah. Run or something like right. that. Yeah. The know? arches arches across the top. All yeah. Around yeah. And, and then if I'm not mistaken, like wasn't it encircled by like uh, a bunch of red tulips outside right wasn't there like i mean i know like every stadium has flowers right but yeah i'm trying to remember outside as well yeah i mean i i didn't go there probably as often as as you guys did i mean i probably went to the old bush stadium maybe three or four times only but um i remember one time yeah we were so we were bored we were there like an hour or two before the game started and like across the street i mean i i i have no idea if it's still there and because this is before all the ballpark village and they've redone yeah. all the Bush Stadium and all that. But at one time, the Professional Bowling Hall of Fame was across the street mm-hmm. from Bush Stadium. Nice. So we like killed an hour in there once. And it's like, you know, for a 10 year old, it doesn't get a, much more exciting than the Professional <laughs> Bowling <laughs> Hall of Fame. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, you're not going to, in the Professional Bowling Hall of Fame, you're going to find some find some folks that don't necessarily look like athletes um, in, in the professional bowling hall of fame. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just thankful for, for getting to experience 1980s era Bush and Wrigley field. They're, they're definitely memories I'll always have. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we we're fortunate to have grown up in central Illinois and have both of those so nearby and, and uh, they're kind of, it's a good dichotomy to have between those two stadiums. And I am, I'll have to sit up. There is another team in Illinois as well. Um, and oh, yeah, there I, is another I, stadium up there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was. Uh, oh, there's uh, two the, teams the, up there? <laughs> the new one's not worth mentioning, but um, the old Comiskey had its charms as well. Yeah. I was, the, uh, I'm, the, I'm lucky I got to go to it. Um, did yeah. either of you go to it? Yeah. yeah. No, That's I where never I first got saw to the go. Red Sox play there. Okay. I always appreciate it though for the old school like lollipop scoreboard. Oh yeah, yeah. it would. Yeah. It would. It would. I mean, fire, it, it looked, fireworks at a home run. 
You know, I mean, it was one of those places like it looked really old, you know, on the outside. Like it was like, obviously it was old, but like it um, kind of just rudimentary, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was neat. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. It's it's too bad that they couldn't save it, or they didn't take that alternate plan um, yeah, that was right. dreamt up when they were uh, uh, creating the new Comiskey. Because the yeah, alternate this? plan is, it's um, uh, I forget the name of it, of of the plan, but it it was a cool draw. It, it was a cool um, uh, layout, and uh, it would have retained a, a very vintage feel. Um, it was yeah. very antithetical to what new. Comiskey. I guess at one point. In the Cubs history, there was talks about like a Lakeshore Cubs stadium, like a like the Cubs are going to possibly move out of Wrigley Field and play and build a park. The winds, the man. Right? Yeah, the it's wins. like the winds yeah. already bad where they're at. Can you? Yeah, imagine? sure. Yeah, because I mean they're not they terribly have. far from the lake now. I mean they're not Lakeshore by any means, no, but no. you know. It's not, it's not angle, yeah. certain angles from the roof. The cameramen can get, they can zoom and see the lake. Cause right. they do that. You know, the, the in-between shots as people are just chatting in between innings or whatever, they'll show like boats on Lake Michigan. Sure. Sure. In the background. Yep. I never really thought about that. They aren't that really far from it now. So yeah. yeah. Could you imagine how awful it would have been to try to pitch in, yeah. in, in a baseball stadium right next to Lake Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare. Yeah. Nice. Good choice. Good choice. All right. So um, I'm going to I'm going to shift over to music now. And um, so in, in my opinion, having a favorite song is a relatively juvenile thing. And and so my my next point is my, one of my favorite things is, is the idea of having a favorite song. But, you know, as teenagers, I, I think most of us would designate favorite songs that would have a tendency to like change with the season. At, as I grew older and my taste grew broader, the idea mm-hmm. of proclaiming a favorite song seemed right. pretty unnecessary. Um, but between 92 and 96, my favorite song was basically my favorite cut from the most recent album by my favorite band. And, <laughs> and so in other words, it was it was Oceans from Pearl Jam's debut, 10. <laughs> Then it was Rearview Mirror from Pearl Jam's second album, Versus. Then it was Corduroy from Pearl Jam's third album, Vitology. And finally, In mm-hmm. My Tree from Pearl Jam's fourth album, No Code. Uh, I mean, even State of Love and Trust was sprinkled in there for a bit. Uh, it's one of those B-side champions I forget about, like when Sergeant Slaughter was the WW, held the <laughs> WWF belt for a few months in 91. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look it up. He did. But... So, In My Tree was the last song I designated as my favorite. It's the fourth song on No Code, uh, my favorite Pearl Jam record, uh, following Who You Are, uh, resulting in two distinct, distinctively percussive back-to-back tracks, thanks okay. to the brief but brilliant tenure of drummer Jack Irons. And upon first listen, uh, In My Tree was the point in No Code when I realized my favorite band was maturing and evolving, and yeah. I really loved it. I loved that. Uh, to me, In My Tree embodied the spirit of making a bold statement that was larger than just like a righteous lyric or a guitar riff, right? So I, I find the studio recording of In My Tree to be very precious, and I try not to listen to it that often. In fact, I, I, think, I, I, I think about the song more than I listen to the song. Mm. And I, 
I want to shield the recording from like, the harsh light of present day realities, you know, pre or post COVID. Um, lest it you'll probably, fade. You'll probably analyze it too much, you know, now. If you exactly. Yeah. yeah I, d I don't want it to fade and lose its vibrancy. And yeah. I want to continue living in that moment in time when I first heard, I first heard it in 1996, but not for nostalgia's sake, rather just for knowing that it will be there as a fresh well of inspiration and evolution whenever I need to embody a bolder, more juvenile spirit. So In My Tree slash Having a Favorite Song is one of my favorite things about rock and roll. Mm. I don't know if I have, like, I can name my favorite song. Right did now. you did, and growing then, up? Yes, Bob O'Reilly was my favorite. Yeah, song yeah, and, that, and that's just up. it. It, it kind of stops when you're 16. Like you just stop yeah. naming favorite songs. And plus, God, Bob O'Reilly's such an iconic song. It's been in like so many fucking movies and commercials and shit. Sure. That like it's the, 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 there's still a lot of beauty at its core. I you know, but like I don't view it like I I I, I don't process it the same way. Just obviously mm -hmm. where I'm at in life, but also just. I've just heard it so fucking much that like mm -hmm. it, it doesn't it doesn't resonate like it used to. Um, hopefully, there's like a kid out there that'll hear it for the first time and be like, "Wow, this shit's fucking amazing," you know? Because um, that it's was a hot dog cart. Right? Yeah, that was that was yeah right. That was me when I was like 14, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't. I, I I can name like you know like probably like my top. I, I definitely can name like my top five albums. You know, like full like LPs. That's easier to do, but songs, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I, I think there gets agree. to be a period in your life where you grow out of that almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that, yeah that's what I'm saying. Is like yeah. it pretty much stops after you're, you yeah. know, you turn 20. You don't you don't really name favorite songs anymore. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. As your as your tastes grow and you don't feel like you have to like I'm trying to think. Like, it, it doesn't need to represent you. You know, you don't feel like you need to have a single song represent you. Um, and another thing about in my tree in my tree that I find interesting is that. I think the studio version is the best version. It doesn't reproduce that well live. No, it doesn't. You're that's a, that's um, a really good point. And yeah. they actually rework it a little bit uh, live versus the the studio version. And and so that's uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I like to hear it live. I but it's um, that makes this the studio version that that much more meaningful to me. I would even argue that it, No Code is my favorite Pearl Jam album. I would even argue that like. With the exception of maybe three or four tracks, I like it studio much better. You know, like it's it's mm. their it's by far their best. Not by far. I don't know. They got other great sure, albums, sure. but like for to me, it's 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 hands down. Like I don't even have to think about it. My favorite studio record of theirs. Yeah. Um, and not all the tunes do translate like that well. Like Who Are You isn't that great live either. Or Who You uh, Are. Who You Are. Excuse me. Sorry. I'm always gonna say that. I'm always yeah. gonna. Say yeah. That. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just like, like sometimes Hail Hail and Present Tense are, are the mainstays. Yeah. On the live show, but everything else. Or Lucan, you know, because that's just um, such a off he goes. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a very intimate record. That yeah. Yeah, you might prefer studio versus live. Right, right. I don't know. Cool. Good um, oh shit, is it me now? All right, last yes, round here. Yeah, okay, last round. last, last oh. round. Um, you know, this one, I, I have to admit, I didn't research it too extensively, but I just want to acknowledge that I, um, I appreciate it. And it's something that probably, like, if you would have told me 20 years ago, I'd have been like, oh, that's not going to happen at this level. Um, 
it's pretty cool that they have a lot more LGBT events at baseball games, you know, I think. Um, uh, as in 2019, all but two teams, the two Texas teams. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, huh? <laughs> Fuckers. Um, yeah, um, all had LGBT nights, you know. Um, and that's uh, that's really good and heartening to see. Um you know, even if the folks that are there that aren't cool with it, they kind of they they have to see it, you know, which is mm-hmm. which is 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 good. It's good exposure and it's good. Um, it's a good union between baseball and an important cause. And I'm glad that uh, I assume it's 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 sort of permeated other sports as well. You know, baseball is the only one I follow really closely. Um, not sure if NASCAR has a pride race or anything like that, you know, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe they do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see, you know, it's, um, even in, in markets like, you know, like obviously like, you know, you wouldn't be shocked if like New York, San Francisco and Chicago had one, but Hey, you know, St. Louis and Kansas city also have them too. And, um, so it's, 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 it's really good to see that that's, um, a lasting thing now so that's it yeah 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 it's it it, it's uh yeah it's it's amazing how far we've come right uh, in yeah it's easy for me to say um uh it's uh, a little surprising and in in a good way how far we've come in the last five years right Uh, right and and that it is a mainstay and it's it absolutely should be. I mean, it, <laughs> baseball's uh, a sport that needs to grow its fan base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and baseball's a sport too that that I think does kind of hold on to its past. Um, you know, a little. It's it's got that cranky old white guy thing to it sometimes mm-hmm. as well. You know, which um, if baseball's got something to shed, I think that's it. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah. anything to kind of like erode that, you know, more good. Absolutely. Do, you, do you think that baseball has the opportunity to appreciate fans more than other sports? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think about fans. Uh, like, I don't, I don't think about the idea of there being pride nights for NFL games. I don't think that's a thing. Um, because, yeah, well, baseball, the like number of games, I, I the, the number of games may have something to do with it as right. well. Yeah, they've, they got, have, they've got they've got more themes. Yeah. yeah they got you know. to fill. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas, you know, football, you're getting eight home games minimum. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and they have twice as many home games as basketball and hockey. Yeah. And, and in terms of like promos and things like that, I'm, I'm not I, I don't know to the degree that basketball football and hockey do those things yeah um you know i mean i guess basketball somewhat i feel like there's you know there's usually like a giveaway or something like that but in terms of like themed nights or nights you know paying homage to something i i I don't know um baseball seems like it's taken the lead here but i i I could be wrong i think i'm trying to remember one of the nights i went to a nuggets game in denver it may have been star wars night that's yeah. like, that, that can, one's all you over could now. Get, like yeah. a special yeah. shirt or something. Yeah, had the Nuggets yeah. and Star Wars. Yeah. And, like you got a special ticket or whatever. Yeah, I think yeah. just about every franchise, baseball franchise at least, the White Sox have had one for a good six or. Grateful seven Dead seasons. is popular too. There's yeah. there's a Chicago. I know the Cubs and the Cardinals both have done Grateful Dead nights. Right, right, um, right. And as far as players go, I mean, I think they're uh, 
a, a couple few minor leaguers who have come out. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if any major leaguers have, though. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Eventually, it's but, definitely a positive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good one. Well, yeah. Um, I'm going to wrap mine up tonight by uh, taking our fellow listeners on a little journey back in time here. Uh, and the the scene is the year 2002. A uh, young Gabe Fu is at the wheel of a, I believe, a Ford Explorer it was you had? Did you have a Ford Explorer? I had, I had a Ford Explorer for a little while. Oh, you yeah. did? Yeah. And, um, like, uh, like... O two, O one to like O five. I had one, yeah, yeah. yeah and, uh, O2, O2, I would have been driving the Explorer. Yeah, we, yeah, we it loaded it down with our with our camping gear and our <laughs> yeah. and our finest, um, you know, delicacies that we could find. Right, and we drove to Tennessee for the first ever Bonnaroo, right. and it, it's it was a good time. And looking back, you know, it was obviously jam band heaven that first year it was literally all jam bands here i'm gonna do like a speed read of the list dirty dozen brass band less Claypool and frog brigade widespread panic dj logic which i guess isn't but uh old crow medicine show ween government mule umphreys mcgee keller williams the keller williams incident the big woo donna the buffalo carl denson's tiny universe uh ben harper Widespread Panic, uh, Jack Johnson, the John Butler Trio, Del McCurry, Galactic, uh, Gabe's Favorite, the Disco Biscuits, um, <laughs> Colonel Bruce Hampton, uh, Colonel Claypool's Bucket of Bernie Brains, which I, I, me and Gabe separated, and I went to that show. The Colonel Claypool's Bucket of Bernie Brains, it was the one-off. Yeah, with uh, Mo, Mo was there, obviously. Um, Phil and Friends. They didn't. This was when Fish was broke up, so they just had Trey. He played right, right. Um, North Mississippi All Stars, Bela Fleck, Mofro, yeah. Robert Randolph. It was it was literally basically every every major jam band of Calling that era, jam bands. and even yeah. even a bunch of the lower mid level jam bands. You know what I mean? Right. No, there there had never been anything done like it before, really. Um, at that at that scale, in if the like, United States. Yeah, in the U.S., yeah, um, with with like of that genre being mm. represented at like a big festival, you know, where like there's seventy thousand people there or something. Yeah, that's um, how many they they sold seventy thousand tickets that first year, right. and they were all sold out pre-show. Yeah, it was huge because, like you said, there there had never been a festival devoted to that scene, you know, like the the modern day festival version of it, you know, right. Well, um, the, the, yeah. I think part of the beauty of it was not knowing what to expect. Sure. And yeah. Like, yeah. Because like, yeah, no we went one, to the first. Yep. Everyone yep. was in a pretty good mood because no one, you know what I mean? There was no preconceived notions of what it should be. What, yeah. what kind of time you should be having because this time has never been had before. You're right. You're right, man. I mean, it, it, even, even if like you, you read that lineup and then like, if that was tomorrow, like I probably wouldn't go, you know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Like I, I, you know, I'd, I'd see like three of those, I'd see like three of those plans and split. Um, but but yeah, like it felt like we were going to something important and exciting. You know, like something that was, like you said, obviously it was new. But yeah, everybody was pretty amped. You know, it was because it, it was so new, and, and it, it was kind really of well organized. Yeah, and it gave birth to kind of the you know it, it changed the game in terms of oh, for festivals. You know, it's really well organized. One of the things yeah. that impressed me the most 
was, do you remember every morning they were making up a little newspaper? Yeah, yeah, the Bonnaroo Beacon. Yeah. It was like yeah. every morning you could get a little free newspaper yeah, and read it. Yeah. What was happening at the festival that day? And yeah. it's like, wow. It was, yeah, it was like usually like a recap of like the previous day and like little just like, you know, there was like some band interviews and stuff in there as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, but I mean, we talked about on the show, you know, how much of an institution Bonnaroo became. And then I think, unfortunately, kind of lost some of it as well. And that's not because, you know, it's not as granola as it once was. I actually liked it more when they diversified the lineup. But it's... Um, they went from being one of the only festivals in the game to having lots of competition. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of overlap within those Quickly. festivals, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and now, you know, um, 18 years later... Um, it's uh it's it's i don't know certainly the newness has worn off let's put it that way right yeah but yeah you're right man i was fucking jacked man on the drive down there yeah we were super excited yeah nothing i'll never forget like no one knew really what was going to happen like security wise yeah right right there's a lot of of fuckers there's a lot of people sweating on the on the, on the, on the line in there. Like, right? Everybody, we were really lined up. Remember, they hadn't opened the gates yet, so we yeah, were like yeah. lined up to get yeah. in. And yeah. so, yeah, you can tell a bunch of people are just sweating. Oh, like. dude, we were, we were. I, I bet we were within the first the first thousand people in. Oh yeah, if easy. if if not like first five hundred people. I was gonna say we were probably in the first five hundred cars in. Yeah. 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 And, um, early man, and I, I'll like, never yeah. forget. So we pull up, and it's like you know some people in Bonnaroo volunteer shirts or whatever, and they're like, "Okay, can you come out and pop the hatch?" And so we like pop the hatch to the back of the. Explorer. I mean, everything's jammed in there. Yeah, yeah, it's like full of camping gear. They just look. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like we could have had whatever <laughs> yeah and also like um you know they they put you they didn't have like i mean it was well organized like levi said but they also probably were still developing some of those systems and because we were there so early we got a kick-ass site i mean dude we were camping right next to the like right by the main stage yeah yeah <laughs> like all we had it was like a stumble to the fucking main <laughs> stage from our yeah. campsite yeah and uh it was just it was just all based on when we got there you know and it hmm. was it was yeah, it was it was really uh, I felt like I was attending an important cultural event. Definitely. It was when I learned that Tennessee was just as fucking humid in the summer as Illinois. <laughs> it was a warm one. And that was only like the middle of June. So, right? uh, yeah. yeah, it was it was already it was it was be, a hot. It would be by 6 or 6:30 a.m. cuz it would just be so hot and humid in the tent. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. how were how were the amenities? Uh, the, Clean uh, food restrooms. Yeah. Like there was a couple times where like certain porta potty air, like they would have stations yeah. of porta potties. Yeah. And there would be sometimes when certain groups of porta potties hadn't been cleaned in a while, but like, I mean, pretty, nothing pretty good though. Well, they they also had like a really good like volunteer. Yeah. Organization. This this company called Good Vibes, um, which was volunteer led. So like a lot of the trash was picked up by volunteers hmm. and they, you know, they got to get into the show for free. Uh, okay. So they still got to catch some of the fest. Yeah. Um, and it was just a really well, it felt communal. It felt um, just no bad vibes, you know, obviously good. Yeah, vibes. It was, it was clean a really vibes, clean vibes is what the place was. The, the company was called. Yeah. It was a really good time. And, you know, I'm, like Gabe said, would I probably go tomorrow if it was again? No, but it, it was the experience was worth it. You know, I'm 
It was kind of the apex of that scene, really. You know, that yeah. was like it's that was yeah. like a tie point. You know, as as our uh, as one of our favorite bands said, we're wiser for the time. There we go. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, I'll, I'll close out the show here with another one of our favorite bands and uh, a specific show. So uh, June twenty fifth, nineteen ninety nine, uh, Government Mule played Mississippi Nights. And uh, first of all, we're all three of us there. Yep. If it was yep. the Life Before Insanity tour, yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't Life Before. Uh, oh, no. it hadn't come out yet. You were there, Which dude. Time? I bought you a ticket. I bought you a ticket for your high school graduation. Oh, I yeah, I know I saw him twice there. I wasn't sure if you okay. guys if it was so, yeah. probably ninety nine and two thousand. It was. It wasn't Life Before Insanity yeah. wasn't out yet. No. Okay. Yeah. They weren't. They weren't touring behind a record, really. Um, yeah, I I got to yeah. see him twice at Mississippi Night, so that would have been yeah. the first time. The last time would have yeah. been the. The okay. 2000 show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so this was... Well, it, the reason I choose this is because this is like... there, there aren't, You don't have many opportunities to have landmark shows in your life. And I feel like that this is one of them. This was the third of eight government mule shows that I saw in two years. Um, which is pretty good for me. Um, that's pretty dense for me. I know a lot of people do much denser uh, consumption of their favorite live bands, but that that's but yeah. Unless unless you're like a deadhead or some shit. At that time, that's pretty good, man. Because you know you would have had to do some traveling to see them eight times. Oh, we we're fortunate that they would that they would play Chicago, Central Illinois, somewhere like Peoria, and then and then uh, they make it over to Iowa. Well. And, uh, yeah, they they would make it over to Iowa. Um, and so, and and this this second factor that I think is what makes this show stand out is is the era of the band. This is, in other words, you know, this is before Alan Woody died, um, and and this is the height of Government Mule, uh, that for like the next couple years. Uh, and it, uh, the third factor is is the venue, Mississippi Nights, uh, is one of my favorite venues. It's now defunct. Um, I believe, yeah. and oh yeah, or, yeah it's tore down, it closed, it closed, yeah. like tore around, down even, yeah, yeah. So like those around like oh four or so, something like that. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So th- those not familiar. Um, well, I, actually, I'll take you on the journey, just like Levi did, where uh, we can get to Mississippi Nights in kind of like less than two hours from our uh, from where we grew up in in Central Illinois, and so that was that was a luxury for us. Less than two hours. I mean, that's sure. Just, oh yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's that's pure luxury, and it was just over the river, uh, uh, just over the Mississippi River, right on the river, and so it's just like perfect setting in my opinion. Yeah, Laclede's um, Landing. Is the, yeah, Laclede's Landing. Yeah, and it was so damn loud, and I loved it. Um, uh, it was yeah. before I had the the good peace of mind to uh, to uh, to wear earplugs, unfortunately. <laughs> right. um, so. Uh, uh, the ears rang for for many weeks after these shows. Um, it was hot, you know, June. It's so all these things make it like a oh, lot yeah. more memorable, I, I and it adds to, to the legend. I don't know <laughs> if I ever saw a show at Mississippi Nights where it wasn't just like hot and steamy. Yeah, was, was that place <laughs> even open after <laughs> September? Like, did they just right, 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 right. and open it up again in, in May? Um, <laughs> and 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 so the set list that night. Um, uh, and it, oh, uh, real quick, uh, the, the the band lineup just being Warren, Allen, and Matt, um, the, the the trio, 
um, uh, open with John the Revelator, uh, then Mule with the uh, I've Been Working, uh, Woody's Jam, and Who Do You Love teases, Thorazine Shuffle, Birth of the Mule, and then they get into some unreleased songs at the time, Life Before Insanity, Lay Your Burden Down, Bad Little Doggy. Uh, then uh, uh, I Can't Quit You, Baby, uh, Blind Man in the Dark, Doing It to Death, Nasty Dog and Funky King, ZZ Top. Uh, she said, they, they close off the set with She Said, She Said, um, which inclu- includes the Norwegian Wood and Tomorrow Never Knows jams. Then for the encore, it hurts me too. End of the line, Young Man Blues, which is insane the young man blues because they do these teases that are just absolutely showing off because they go into out on the tiles thick as a brick power of soul and labrere all four and it's it's obscene the talent (laughs) that they're showing off and then they close with uh good morning uh little school girl yeah and it's it's so fun to listen back to the recording because you can hear the excitement and the hooting and hollering of the like the grown men in the room. We're we're all just like fucking 18, 19 years old, right? right? 17, yeah. 18, 19 years old. But there are I you can almost hear the grown, like 35-year-old men in the in the room just weeping with excitement that yeah. this that this band is melting their faces. Oh yeah. And uh, and I think that was something at the time I didn't really appreciate as much as I do now when I listen back and hear the excitement yeah. of the crowd. Oh yeah. Uh, on the War, recording. It's good you say men too, because there weren't a lot of women at those shows. Oh no, no. It's it's, no, it's like rush. Right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. 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 Going to a th- the, when government mule was a three piece, it was like going to a rush show basically. If you were um, members in the band, the, the higher the percentage of the male audience. <laughs> <laughs> but no, dude, you're right. Like there were, I don't know if I've ever seen a band that could get like full grown men to just be like, you know, there was always that guy that'd be like, Warren, Warren, how you feeling, Warren, Warren, how you feeling? Dude's like guys, shit. yeah, just guys, yeah, yeah going going fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's one of those shows that the one of those shows that yeah will always hold a special place and and uh knowing where it is and its run and how we got to see that trio yeah um i still appreciate what mule did afterwards i think what they did afterwards is still very good but what they did before alan died um i think is it's some of the best rock and roll I'll ever see in my life. And so uh, the the Life Before Insanity tour show was when Mariah opened, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the next year. Who was the opening act on that show? Did they not have one? Uh, yeah, they had a band um, called uh, Day by the River, I remember. They don't remember? Jesus, Gabe. Yeah, I know, oh, right? Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty granola, you know, they were... <laughs> Kind of, yeah. I don't, I'd of, so, yeah, there you go. Jackpot, kind of, uh, acoustic hookah e, you know, kind of type thing, yeah. Okay. Um, by the river, Damn. yeah, yeah. They're from really? Athens, I think. Yeah, I think good stuff, Athens. Jonathan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, made it through nice. another nine. All right, guys. Well, hey, um, enjoyable stuff uh hope everybody um is staying safe out there and is able to uh listen to all of our episodes at rockchew.com also follow us on instagram and twitter at rock in chew like us on facebook tell your friends about us available on any podcasting app that you like uh just about any i would imagine give us a um, 
Yes, give us a rating. Need one of those. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll be bringing you some more content soon, wrapping up this list. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good night. So hope everybody um, has a great week. Take care. Thanks, guys.